0: Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word, and we thank You that it is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank You, Lord, that it applies to our lives tonight just as as much as when it was written several thousand years ago. And, Father, I just pray that You prepare our hearts to receive from You, Lord, that You might be glorified, that You might transform us more into Your image. So, Lord, we love You, we praise You, and we worship You. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said you have your Bibles, turn to Leviticus chapter 21. Leviticus 21. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. And remember again that the theme of Leviticus, if you had to use one word, what would it be? Who remembers? It's holiness. It's all about holy living. And it's, ta- it's all about how God, it's a picture of how God would restore sinful man back to a holy God. The first ten chapters, we saw the, all the different uh, sacrifices. And each one of those sacrifices pointed to who? To Jesus Christ every sacrifice that was made every single animal that was sacrificed was a picture of Jesus Christ then the next uh, five chapters we saw the difference between that which was clean and unclean and again a picture of walking in holiness before God being acceptable before God and walking outside of God's will then chapter 16 and 17 we saw the atoning work the work of atonement the day of atonement is also called what Yom Kippur. And on the Day of Atonement was a time when the high priest, only the high priest, could go only in on the Day of Atonement, and only with the blood of the firstborn spotless lamb, and he had to go into the most holy place, and he would sprinkle it on the altar, and then he would sprinkle it seven times, seven being the number of perfection or completeness. And it's what Jesus said on the cross. He said, it is finished. And so that's what the atoning work was a picture of. And then after the atonement in verses, in chapters 16 and 17, in 18, 19 and 20, we saw a picture of walking in holiness. How God has commanded us that once we've been born again, once that work of atonement's been done, that God's not through with us. You know, because you were saved doesn't mean that God's done. He, he's done in saving you, you're born again, but He still has much He wants to do with you. You've been justified, just as if you've never sinned, but you're still in that process of being sanctified, becoming more and more like Him every single day until the day when you ultimately will be glorified when you get to heaven. And so we saw just a real clear pictures. And I encourage you to get the tapes on 18, 19, and 20, very clear pictures of, of God's desire for man and how we should walk before Him. And he dealt with everything from sexual immorality to holiness in our homes. And then last week, we saw very clearly that sin has consequences. And I'll tell you, it breaks my heart what's happening in the world today. I mean, if anybody's been paying attention at all, you saw what the Episcopal Church did yesterday. If you don't know, the Episcopal bishops voted to to put in a a homosexual bishop. And so now they, they have a homosexual bishop. When... If you, if you were here last week or in chapter 18, what does God say about homosexuality? It's an abomination and He hates it. Now, we love the homosexual, but we hate homosexuality. Amen? We hate the sin, but we love the sinner. And the sad part is that they bow to peer pressure and they go with popular culture instead of standing on the Word of God. The number one problem in the church today is biblical illiteracy. It's going with the votes of people instead of the Word of God. There's only one vote at Calvary Chapel. It's God's Word. Amen? Amen? God's Word is the authority, it's what we stand on, it's what we stand by. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, not the votes of men or the opinions of Pastor Dave or anything else. And sadly, we see the world getting further and further away from God, and that's what Leviticus was all about, was walking in holiness, being obedient to the Word of God, and that sin indeed does have consequences. So tonight we're going to look at the laws or the rules concerning the priest. And we're going to see the laws concerning the priest and the high priest, and then Defects that prohibit priestly service. Now you might be sitting here saying, "Well, great, we're going to see laws concerning the priests. What in the world's that got to do with me?" You know, that was over two thousand years ago. What does it have to do with me today, living in Santa Cruz in two thousand and three? Well, the Bible tells us in First Peter chapter two, "But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation." his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but, have, but now have obtained mercy. So guess who the priests are today? Now, I want to make this really clear. We are not the high priest. Amen? Who's the great high priest? Jesus Christ. We don't need great high priests today. We don't need people... Uh, you know, forgiving us for our sins. You don't go need to sit in a box and confess your sins to a man because that man's a sinner just like you and that man's in need of salvation just like you are. Amen. But the Bible says that all believers are a part of what is called the royal priesthood. And so tonight as we're looking at the the laws concerning priests, I want us to see real clearly that it has an application for every single one of us here tonight. Okay, so let's begin in verse one and we're going to look at at the God's heart and God's design and God's passion for a priest. But let me say one more thing about a priest. What does a priest do? In those days and today, a priest stood before God representing the people, and the priest stood before the people representing God. What do we do as Christians today? We stand before God representing people. How do we do that? We pray for the lost. We intercede on their behalf. And then we stand before people on behalf of God. How do we do that? We live a Christ-like life in front of them. We share our faith boldly with our co-workers and with the people around us, with our neighbors, with the postal worker, the grocery clerk, you know, the the football coach for my son, the the gas station attendant. God has called us to be witnesses, and we saw this last Sunday, that He didn't tell us to go witnessing, but He told us to be witnesses. You shall receive power from on high, and you shall be witnesses to me. Because that's what God's called us to do, and that's what a priest was called to do. He'd been, we've been saved to serve, and that's why we're here. And it's interesting also, just to, to encourage you, you might say, well, I don't really care about having a priestly ministry. I just want to go to heaven. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have to have all this extra stuff. Just give me the get-out-of-hell-free card. Let me live my life. And, you know, as long as I get into heaven, it's all good. Just know this, that in Numbers chapter 3, that the priests were the ones who were allowed to pitch their tents closest to the Holy of Holies. The ones that were serving God... Full out were the ones that were closest to him. That has not changed. You want to look at people who are on fire for God, people that are being used mightily by God, people that are totally in love with God. They're the people serving him the most and they tend to be the ones closest to him. You cannot be close to God and not serving. Amen? You can't just be a pew potato and be on fire for the Lord. You can't just be showing up at church once a week or once every two, and, and really be used mightily by the kingdom of God, because if you're in love with Jesus, you're going to be contagious. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to be upon you, and you're going to be impacting the world around you, and we'll see that tonight as we look at the priests. So let's begin in chapter 1, or chapter 21, verse 1, looking at the laws concerning priestly conduct. And what we're going to see, again, these priestly regulations that are in the Old Testament, that speak in a physical form to them, have a spiritual application to us today. Let's begin in verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, None of you shall defile himself for the dead which is among you. So the sons of Aaron were the priests. So how did you become a priest in the Old Testament? You were born into it. How do you become a priest today? You're born again into it. Amen? Amen. You became a priest back then by, being, by physical birth through Aaron, and you become a priest today by spiritual birth through the Son of the living God, becoming a new creation in Christ. And so just as they were called by their birth, we've been called by our rebirth in the ministry. So that means that every single one of us that's been born again, and if you're a Christian, you have to be born again. There's no such thing as Christians and born-again Christians. Amen? I've heard that, well, you're one of the born-again kind of Christians. Well, guess what? That's the only kind of Christian there is. Amen. Because Jesus, not Billy Graham, told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so for us to be saved, we have to be born again. If we're born again, we're new creations in Christ, and we're a part of the priestly ministry, a part of that royal priesthood called by Almighty God to have an impact on a lost and dying world. So it says there that none shall defile himself for the dead among his people. Now the priest, if they were to come near the dead, Or to touch the dead. If they came in the same room with a dead body, or if they touched a dead body, they were ceremonially unclean for seven days. Which meant for seven days they could not do any ministry. They could not serve. And so he says here, they are not to go and defile themselves with the dead among their people. Because then it would render them ineffective for ministry. Could not perform the task that God had called them to. So too when you and I hang out with dead people. We become ceremonially unclean in a sense, and we become ineffective for ministry. Well, Pastor Dave, I haven't been down to the morgue any time recently. What are you talking about hanging out with dead people? The Bible says that those who do not know Christ are dead in their trespasses and sins. Now, do we love them? Absolutely. Do we have a burden for them? Yes, we do. But if you hang out with dead people, guess what's going to happen? You're going to start stinking. Amen? You're going to start becoming like them. Rigor mortis is going to set in spiritually. You're going to have you're not going to have the impact on the world that God desires that we have. And it's going to happen because guys be patient with me. My pages are blowing like crazy. I didn't memorize the chapter that well, all right? Okay. And so, what happens when we become contaminated by the world? The same thing that would happen with them. They could no longer intercede on behalf of the people before God. They could no longer enter into the presence of the creator of the universe. They could no longer draw near to him and intercede on the people's behalf. And when you and I hang out with the world and are contaminated by the world, we break fellowship with the father. Amen. Now we're new creations in Christ. We're going to heaven, but we can break fellowship with the Lord. And that's exactly what happens. And so he says, don't Touch the dead bodies, because if you do, you'll be contaminated. We are to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. Think of it this way. If you're going to go to a party at work, are you going to impact the party, or is the party going to impact you? Are you going to go there and be glowing in the dark for Jesus, or may it make you stumble and fall back into old traps? And start talking about things you shouldn't talk about. Or start you know, drinking alcohol when you shouldn't. Or doing things you shouldn't do. Because bad company truly does corrupt good morals. And it is an absolute fact that you become like the people you hang out with. You want to know what kind of person you are? Look at the people you hang out with. Amen? Isn't it true? It's so true that we become like those we hang out with. And he's telling them here, don't hang out with dead people. Or your walk will be dead. Look at verses 2 and 3. Except for his relatives who are nearest to him. His mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, also his virgin sister, that's an unmarried sister, who is near to him, who has had no husband, for her he may defile himself. Now, this is not the high priest we're talking about, but the priest had one exception when he could defile himself, and that was to bury his closest family members. He could go to them, and he could minister to them, but them alone. And he would go to them, and when he did, he would be out of ministry for seven days. As soon as he would go and mourn with them and weep with them and go to the funeral with them, it would render him ineffective to minister to anybody else but them. But at the same time, I think it's interesting because God tells us that that's our first ministry, isn't it? It's our family. Isn't it the most difficult ministry too, though, sometimes? Isn't Isn't it easier to tell a stranger about Jesus sometimes than your mom or your dad or your brother? Because they know everything about you. Right? I remember when you were a mess up. Don't be telling me nothing. Right? And you try to tell them about the Lord and maybe bring... Oh, yeah, I remember when you were nine and you broke the window out back, you know? I mean, you can't get away from it, right? And the reality is sometimes those are the hardest people to minister to. But there is a provision here for the priest. But you'll notice that when he's ministering to his family, he can't minister to anybody else. The focus is so heavy on trying to reach them. And God wants us to have that passion for our family... And it's the one place where he was allowed to actually defile himself. I think that's interesting because we're not to hang out with the world. But I do believe that the Lord makes a provision for us to reach out even to our unsaved family. And spend time with them like we would with no one else who is in the world. Amen? God desires that we be there ministering to them they don't hear it from us, who are they going to hear it from? So he was allowed to step away from his duties, to attend the funeral, to mourn with them, and to minister with them. But notice again, it's not the high priest. We'll see that in a minute. Verse 4. Otherwise he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself. The priest was not to defile himself in any other way. He was to lead by example. He was to remain in a place of constant communion with the Lord. A place of intercession, a place of ministry, and a place of fellowship. You know what, guys? That's where we're supposed to be. We shouldn't be going in and out of our relationship with the Lord and in and out of ministry. We shouldn't be doing ministry one day a week or doing ministry part of the time. It's who we are as new creations in Christ. We're born again. And we're not born again on Sunday mornings from you know, 10 to 11.30, and Wednesday nights from 7 to 8.30. God desires to use us 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, amen? To impact our lives and to have us impact the world around us. And He said, don't profane yourself. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And too often as Christians, we, you know, I, I want to encourage you something. I'm not talking about works-based salvation. I'm not saying, go out there and be so good that somehow God will love you and you will earn your salvation. That's not what the Bible's talking about. But as new creations in Christ, it should change the way that we live. We should love the things He loves and hate the things He hates. You know, that's my prayer every morning. Wake up with, yes, Lord. And my first prayer is, Lord, let me love the things You love and hate the things You hate today. Let me see the world through Your eyes. Lord, You break me over what You're broken for. Give me a passion about what You're passionate about. Lord, let me not miss those divine appointments you have for me today. Lord, guide and lead and direct every one of my steps. Make today count for eternity. I'll tell you, when you start your day that way, God answers that prayer every single time. God is faithful to answer those prayers. Lord, use me as a prayer that he will say yes to every single time. Amen? But too often we jump out of bed and brush our teeth and flip on the microwave and get out in the car and turn on the radio and drive to work, and we're we're like this all day. And then we wonder why we're struggling. We're losing our temper with the guy in traffic. And how much time have we spent with the Lord? Begin your day with Him. Spend your day with Him. Don't be defiled. Now look next. We see the, the pagan mourning practices. And these are things that were not to be seen among the priests. Look at verse 5. That shall not make any bald place on their heads. What am I going to do? Alright, well. They shall not make any bald place on their heads, nor shall they shave the edges of their beards, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. And we talked about this a little bit last week. And the idol worshippers from Egypt and Canaan, because when he called them to come out and be holy, he said, you guys are coming out of Egypt, and are a bunch of idol worshippers, don't be like them. You're getting ready to go into Canaan, they're a bunch of idol worshippers, don't be like them. They're caught up in adultery, they're caught up in homosexuality, they're caught up in idol worship, They're caught. Up- don't be like them. You be like me, I am the Lord. Now, one of the things that the pagans did when they were born is they would take sharp instruments and they would cut themselves to please the God of death. They would cut themselves. They would tattoo themselves with things to please the God of death. Now, don't we see a lot of that happening even today? Have you noticed how much death stuff is in tattoos, right? People put skulls and crossbones, all kinds of stuff in tattoos. Now, again, I said this before and I'll say it one more time. If you have prayed about it, and you have a peace about getting a tattoo that in some way glorifies God, then God bless you. I'm not going to say that that's wrong. I personally, your pastor, would never get a tattoo, but that's my personal conviction. Okay? But if you feel led, and you feel like it's witness wear, and God's going to use it for His glory, then God bless you. I have no problem with that. But if you're getting skulls and crossbones tattooed on you, I'm going to tell you right now, that's wrong. That's sin. Don't do that. Amen? Don't be tattooing your body the temple of the Holy Spirit with stuff that will not glorify God. Amen? And so we see here that they would cut themselves and they would shave their heads. And this was a, a way of, of mourning over death. They would, they would shave their heads and they would cut themselves and they would land on the ground and just be in desperation. Verse 6. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of the Lord their God by fire and the bread of, the, of their God. Therefore they shall be holy. Now, he's telling them That because they are priests, they are not to mourn the way that the pagans mourn. The pagans would mourn because to them there was no more hope. When somebody died, that was the end. But our Bible tells us what? That to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. We mourn because we miss people, but we don't mourn as those without hope. Amen? As Christians, we don't mourn the same way. When we lose somebody and we don't lose them, God knows where they are. Amen? They're not lost, right? God's faithful. Oh, I heard you lost your husband. No, I know exactly where he is, right? <laughs> heard you lost your wife. Oh, I, I know where she's at, right? And the reality is that we mourn, but we don't mourn as those without hope. We don't mourn as, as the world mourns in desperation and crying without, without being comforted. Why? Because... We have the Holy Spirit, the great comforter living within us. And Christians don't die, they just move to a better neighborhood. Amen? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I close them here and I open them up in heaven. I've told you guys repeatedly, if I die before you, please have a party and don't be worried about me because I won't be thinking about you. <laughs> I'll be looking for you when you show up. And I love you guys, you're on my mind now, but when I'm in heaven, I'm going to be looking at Jesus. Amen? Amen? And my focus and my heart and my passion are going to be upon Him. And there's going to be no more death and no more pain and no more suffering and no more sickness and no more weeping and no more governments that are corrupt and no more babies being, being killed and no more all the garbage that goes on in this world will all be gone and I'll see my Savior face to face and it doesn't get any better than that. And you know what? When you realize that, we don't mourn as those without hope. You're going to be dead a lot longer than you're alive. Amen? You're going to be in eternity a lot longer than you spent here on this on this planet. And we need to know that that's not the end. It's graduation day. Amen? And we're just moving on to a much better place. We're going to be hanging out with our Father. And I can't wait to get there. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But we don't, we don't grieve as those without hope. And you know what? Does the world watch us when we go through tragedy as Christians? You know, if you share your faith with people and then you go through difficulty, I promise you they're watching to see how you respond. If you respond any different than the rest of the world does. And we should respond different than the rest of the world does. God will use it for His glory if we can stand with Him in times of difficulty. Verse 7, They shall not take a wife who is a harlot or a defiled woman, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. Now, the priests were to have a holy marriage set apart to God. Why? Because ministry, the foundation of ministry, is the marriage. The number one ministry you have is your spouse. Amen? That's who God's called you first and foremost to minister to. And and by the way, God talks more about marriage in the Bible than He does even the church. So the foundation of the church is godly men being married to godly women for a lifetime. One man, one woman for a lifetime, raising kids in godly homes and admonition of Jesus Christ. That's God's highest. And so, if you're married, that's the foundation of of ministry. Now, when we look for people to do ministry at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz, and I'm looking for guys, assistant pastors, or people to raise up in ministry, you know what I look at first? Their marriage. First thing. And I'll be honest with you, I struggle if, Someone's marriage isn't where it needs to be. That's a sign of a greater spiritual problem. And so it's got to begin in my home. The Bible says a man who cannot rule in his house, how can he rule in the church? How can he lead others when he can't even minister to his own wife and his children? The Bible says a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. And so you look at someone's home life first, and you know, even in Southern California, we used to talk to their wives, we bring their wife in and say, here's First Timothy chapter 3. Why don't you read that? Does that sound like your husband? We had women go, no way. That's not good. Literally. Oh, no, that ain't... No, what? That? No, 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 no. He ain't even... No, we're not asking him to be perfect. He's a sinner saved by grace. But is he a spiritual leader in your home? Does he pray with you and your kids? Does he set the example for your house? Does he cleanse your home? Does it ask for me and my house we will serve the Lord? Or is he in your house blowing a head gasket 24-7, yelling and screaming, out of control, and being an ungodly example to your children? Which is it? So marriage is the foundation of ministry. A man who cannot walk in holiness in his marriage, his marriage will then be defiled. So he says, don't be married to a defiled woman. You know what? In those days, purity was key. And so he's saying here that you are to marry a woman, not a woman that's a harlot, And and what this really talks about is someone who has become a temple prostitute to a false idol. In those days, they had temple prostitution, and they would prostitute themselves to idols. Or a defiled woman, again, a woman who's been with somebody before she was married. Or a divorced uh, woman, someone who had been married to another previously. The priest was only to marry, a, as we're going to see later with the high priest, a virgin is only going to be married to him, and they're going to be married together for a lifetime. Now, why do you think God would require that of the priest? Who is the priest a picture of, the high priest? Jesus Christ. So who is his bride a picture of? The church. And what kind of bride is he coming for? A pure and undefiled bride, because of through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have been made holy. And so he's not coming for a for a defiled bride and he's not coming for a divorced bride and he's not coming for a bride that's playing harlots with other gods he's coming for a pure and holy bride set apart unto him and so because that's true the priest was only to marry someone who was a picture of the church let me encourage you with something if you're not married yet maybe you've blown it already you know what ask god to forgive you and from this day forward you honor him amen Maybe some of you have been divorced and you're remarried now. You know what? God's a gracious and forgiving God. From this day forward, you have your marriage set apart unto Him. And He will honor that and He will use you mightily. Amen? And if you're somebody who's single, you wait for the person God has for you. God has someone great for you. Don't, you know, don't go looking with the the physical eye. Because you'll notice you're not a defiled woman, but somebody who's been set apart. For the Lord. Verse 8, therefore you shall consecrate him. Consecrate. What does consecrate mean? Who remembers? Set apart for holy use. It's where you take something and it's only being used for God and for nothing else. So you consecrate it unto the Lord. And it says, For he offers the bread, the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I am the Lord who sanctify you, am holy. He's a representation of me, and since I am holy, he too should be holy. Again, a picture of the bride and of of Christ being married and knit together. Single people be looking for godliness, purity, and holiness, not with physical eyes. Just remember, girls, what you use for bait will determine what you catch. You go walking around with your midriff showing and, you know, shaking your thing in front of every guy on the beach. You wonder why you get a fleshly guy with that baited hook, Right? Well, I, all he cared about was my my body. Well, duh. What did you use to try to attract him? You want a godly man? Be a godly woman. Amen? I said this two weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again, and it's not real popular, but you guys know I'm, I'm usually not too concerned about being popular. Only one that should see your stomach is your husband. Amen? That was, was kind of weak. Amen? The reality is that... Women, if you had the mind of a guy for five minutes, you would change the way you dress for the rest of your life. Guys, is that true? It's true, okay? It's totally true. That's why dads are, are such hawks with their daughters. You know, no, you are not wearing that out. Getting no. on. Go put on a sweater, right? Ain't happening, right? Because we know how teenage guys think. Now, look what it says here. The daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the harlot, she profanes her father, and she shall be what? Burned with fire. Does God care about holiness? Is God concerned about us waiting for the person and being holy before him? But but this is 2003, and everybody's sleeping around, and everybody's... Do we follow God, or do we follow the world? He was telling them as they were going into Canaan that was filled with the same garbage that's going on in Santa Cruz to be holy for I am holy. You be set apart unto me. You don't fall into the same trap that the world's falling into. And it's easy to do that. And he says here, if your daughter is playing the harlot, if she is becoming a a prostitute in the temple, if she is giving away what should belong to her husband, that she was to be taken out and burned with fire choosing harlotry, being joined to somebody that she wasn't married to. And this tells me one more time that God has no grandchildren. Right? This is the daughter of one of the priests. Someone who serves in a temple, someone whose tent is pitched closest to the Holy of Holies, somebody who's given their life completely devoted to God, someone who's filled with, you know, and used mightily by God, gets to enter into that holy place where no one else can, and his daughter, if she goes outside of God's will, reaches the consequences of her sin. It tells me that we're not saved because our parents are saved. Amen? You don't get saved because someone else in your family knows God and you automatically inherit it. God has no grandchildren. At some point, our children must make their own decision about their relationship with the Lord. We need to be praying for our kids. I want to tell you something. I pray, that's, I, I pray more than anything else in the world, I pray for my children. And I want to encourage you. Pray for your kids. Pray for your kids. I, I used to lay my hands on my wife's stomach and pray for our children before they were born. I remember praying for Ashley every day that she would grow up into a, a mighty young man or woman of God because I didn't know what she was going to be. And you know, God's answered that prayer. And she loves the Lord. And I, keep, I pray for my boys constantly. I'm on my knees all the time. And you know what? Look around your house, especially you dads, and cleanse your home from stuff that's going to stumble your children. You know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we see here that, that she felt this, this daughter fell because she'd made her own decision. Her dad is serving God. But I want to encourage you with something. That even if your kids are not walking with the Lord right now, you keep praying for them. Because God's Word does not return void. Amen? I was really blessed the other night. I'll make this quick. But I went over to Calvary San Jose to teach Sunday night. And I had uh, just a real blessing that totally a God thing. One right after another, I had kids from my youth group coming up to me, some of which I hadn't seen in two or three years. Most of you know I was a youth pastor over there for about six years. And they were coming up to me one right after another just thanking me for teaching them the word. And I was just brought to the end of myself. I was driving home crying, thinking about it. Kids were coming up going, Pastor Dave, I never thanked you. I just want you to know that the way you taught me the word, I'm going to Bible college now and I'm, I want to be a youth pastor just like you. You know, girl coming up, yeah, I'm, I'm doing youth work up at Calvary San Mateo, and I'm just sharing the love of God. And one other kid came up and said, yeah, I'm going to be the junior high pastor here. I'm starting September 1st. And, and then another kid, and I'm just like, man, this is awesome. And you know what? God's Word doesn't return void. You keep loving your kids. You keep sharing the Word of God with them. You keep praying for them and know that the Word that you've shared with them, God will bring fruit to it. Our first ministry is our family. The enemy's after our kids. We need to sanctify our homes. You know what, your kids shouldn't be listening to anything other than Christian music. Amen? Pastor Dave, there's a youth pastor out in him coming, here it comes again. But here's the reality. God created music for worship. Amen? And I don't care what kind of music your kids like, there's Christian music you can listen to. When I was a teenager, I had Love Song and Mustard Seed Faith, and that was it. Right? Or Praise 97, or whatever number they were up to at the time. And, you know, I like, you know, I wanted some crunching guitars, and they didn't have it. But if you like crunching guitars now, you can listen to crunching guitars that will glorify the Lord. Amen? And we need to take the lead in our house and say, kids, you know what? This is not from the Lord. Snap some CDs in half and say, here, go to the Christian bookstore on Sunday. and Just buy them some CDs. Listen to Christian music. Because you know what happens? It draws you closer to God, where the stuff that the enemy uses draws them away from the Lord. May we sanctify our homes. May we pray for our kids; they may not fall. Then laws concerning the high priest. Verse ten: He was the high priest among the brethren, on those whose head the anointing oil was poured, and who was consecrated to wear the garments. Shall not uncover his head nor tear his garments. He is not to mourn. The person who's the high priest has been anointed with the oil. Oil in the Bible is a picture of what? Holy Spirit. He's anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit. He's been called by God and gifted by God to be used mightily by God, and he's not to mourn. Why? Because he understands eternity. And you and I, again, we mourn, but we don't mourn with those, as those without hope. He's the one that enters into the Holy of Holies. He gets to wear those priestly garments. He's a picture of Christ. Verse 11. Nor shall he go near any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or his mother. Now where the regular priest could go, and he could defile himself for his father or for his mother, the high priest was not to defile himself ever. He was never, ever, ever to defile himself. Why? Because the high priest is a picture of of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was without sin. And so, the high priest was never, ever, even for his father or his mother, to defile himself. Verse 12, Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. He's not to leave the sanctuary to go to a funeral or to mourn the dead. He's to keep on serving God. He's to be in a constant place of intercession. Why? Because what is Jesus doing for us right now? He's interceding. Does he ever stop? He intercedes for us constantly. And the high priest, a picture of Christ, was never to leave the tabernacle and go on vacation and go out and mourn. He was supposed to remain and continue in that place of worship as long as he was the high priest. He was to keep on serving. He was to continue to have an eternal perspective. Again, physical death brought mourning, but was not to keep him from his spiritual calling. Look at verse 13. And he shall take a wife in her virginity. Again, a picture of the church. The church is holy, the church is perfect, the church has not been given to any other God, it's the pure bride of Christ. Why do do women walk down an aisle wearing a white gown? Where does that come from? It comes from the Bible. And in the Bible it says that we will come to Him clothed in white linen, a pure bride before Him. And so when a woman walks down the aisle clothed in white, that came from God's Word, and it's a picture of the church as we come to Him. As we're drawn unto the Lord, verse 14. A widow or a divorced woman, or a defiled woman or a harlot, these he shall not marry. But he shall take a virgin of his own people as wife. Of his own people, this is saying he is not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He was not to marry a Canaanite. He was not to marry an Egyptian. He was not to marry anybody else. He was to marry someone who was of the children of Israel. And he was not to marry anybody besides them. And so he was not to be unequally yoked. And that's a picture for us today. Nor shall he profane his posterity among the people, for I the Lord sanctify him. This unholy marriage would produce unholy offspring, and it would profane the priestly line. He said, for I the Lord sanctify him. God has set him apart for holy use, and he was not to defile himself by pursuing physical pleasure. You know, by pursuing the... the the hot Canaanite babe instead of waiting for the woman God has for him, right? Not to check out the women of the world, but to seek after the woman that God had set apart for him. I believe completely and totally, and you might disagree with me, and that's okay, but I believe that God has one woman for you from the foundation of the world. I believe it. And I believe that God has a man for my daughter and three women for my sons if he tarries. And I'm praying for them every single day i am praying for my son-in-law. When I meet him in another 15 years, I can tell him that. But I'm, I'm praying for my son-in-law. I pray for my daughter-in-law. I pray for them every day. And I, I pray that they'll be used mightily by God. And God will be preparing them to be the, the godly husband or the godly wives that my children are going to need one day when they grow up. And that's God's highest, is that we not take from other, another nation. He said, you pick them from your own people, from the children of Israel. That's where I want you to choose your wife. Don't profane the Lord, because if you do, what happened when uh, Abraham went into Hagar? How'd that work out? Are we still dealing with that today? Why? Because it wasn't his wife. And the fruit of that is where you get all the Arab nations that are now fighting with Isaac's descendants, and it's still going on today. Why? Because they wouldn't wait upon the Lord. He didn't do what God told him to do. And it's the same thing here. He said, don't go after someone from another nation. Don't be unequally together with unbelievers. We're almost done. I know you guys are getting cold. We'll move along here. Verse 16. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. So anyone who had a physical defect could not serve in priestly ministry as far as going into the holy place. Now, anyone with a physical blemish, anyone with any kind of a physical defect. Now, here's something you need to remember, and this will always help you. In the Old Testament, it's always physical and material, and in the New Testament, it's spiritual and eternal. In the Old Testament, you see things in the physical that are manifested in the spiritual in the New Testament. When you look at the sacrificial system, it's a picture of what would happen spiritually through Jesus Christ later. And so we're seeing the same thing here. And he's saying, if anybody has a defect, so does that mean that if, if i got a blemish on my face that I can't serve in ministry today? No, that's not what it's talking about. It was a picture of what I believe are, is a spiritual significance now. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But why would a priest need to be without blemish? Why? picture of christ would it make any sense for a guy covered in leprosy to be bringing the the perfect lamb up to make sacrifice with it okay we got to make sure the lamb has no blemishes and the, and the and the high priest is covered in leprosy you'd be like well wait a minute nobody'd be seeing the lamb would be like dude that guy's falling apart right <laughs> and the reality is that that jesus christ is both the sacrificed and the great high priest amen that's why the Lamb must be perfect and without blemish. And the, great high, and the High Priest, in this case, must be perfect and without blemish from a physical perspective. But I believe it has spiritual application. And I think we'll see it as we go through this. And these are things that God just put in my heart. Just something to think about as we go through it. And I believe it will show us, as we look at these, these defects that would keep a man from serving in ministry, I think they're the same things spiritually today that keep people from being effective in ministry. Look at verse 18. It says, For anyone who has a defect shall not approach. A blind man. What God put on my heart here was that nobody is effective in ministry today that lacks vision. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, For the lack of vision, the people what? They perish. The word for perish means run wild. So if you got a youth pastor with no vision, they're all over the place, right? But the reality is, for a lack of vision, the people perish. Do you know what I look for more than anything in calling? Vision. When someone comes in and says, Pastor Dave, you, I can't sleep at night. It's incredible what God's put in my heart. Here's what God's showing me, and I, I, I just want, what, how do, how can we do this? That's calling. And you know what? If there is no vision, the people will perish, His vision from God or the ministry God's given him will will allow him to lead others. If you don't know where you're going, you can't take anybody else there. Amen? So many ministries suffer because they have no vision, no passion. It's interesting. Elisha in 2 Kings, I'm not going to turn there because I never get back to my place in my Bible with the wind up here. But in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha's servant comes up to him and says, I don't know why you brought us out here because we're totally done. Do you see that we are surrounded? And Elisha sits there and looks at him and says, no vision. Paraphrase, no vision. And he prays and says, God, open his eyes. And then the Lord opens his eyes. And what does he see surrounding that army? Angels, a host of angels. And all of a sudden the guy says, oh, we're not in trouble. God's in control. But if Elisha didn't have vision, if Elisha didn't see what God was doing, if Elisha didn't know that God was directing, he would have. When the guy said, "Look at the armies are coming," he said, "Yeah, you're right. Let's run." And you know, I want to encourage you. I just want to tell you something. When we first started our church, joking to attest to this, when we first started our church. We've been meeting in a few months. And we had like twelve people, and people were like, I, "This isn't happening." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" God's already shown me, and I'm telling you right now, if God tarries, this church will not be hundreds, it will be thousands, and God's going to reach Santa Cruz County through Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz in a mighty and a powerful way. God has given me a vision and a passion, a burden for the city like nothing else. I lay in bed at night losing sleep. I have a burden for Santa Cruz, Holy Cross, and God's brought you here, and I prayed for you before you came, and you're an answer to prayer, and you don't even know it. And the reality is that there's times when people say, oh, it's just not happening. You know what? We just need to be faithful to what God's called us to do and trust Him to bring the results. Amen? God's, in His timing, in His way, we just be faithful. Teach the Word, love the people, and let God bring the increase. And whatever God's called you to do, you be faithful to that. And there are going to be people wanting to throw water on your vision, I promise you. But you do what God's telling you to do. God said it, that settles it, that's enough for me. I'm not taking a vote. I'm not asking anybody else what they think. I'm walking in obedience to the Lord. And watch what God will do. He does great things. And so we see here, a blind man, someone with no vision. Then it says, nor a lame man. You know what? If someone's not walking the walk themselves, how can they lead others? Amen? If the guy's not walking in the fullness of the Spirit himself, if he's not living a godly life before men, because the priest was called to be a godly example, and we are called to be godly examples. We are to be sharing our faith, but we're to do it more in our actions even than in our words. I think it was St. Augustine that said, witness every day and when necessary, use words. Right? I mean, we should be living it. And a layman who's not walking himself cannot lead others and be a spiritual leader. Without a straight walk, we're disqualified from leading others in ministry. Now the w- next word there, depending on which version you have, It says, a marred face. And in King James, it says, a flat nose. So if you had a flat nose, you couldn't serve as a high priest back then. (laughs) They didn't have rhinoplasty or plastic surgery. You were just done. You couldn't do it. Now, I looked at the original meaning of the word, and one of the words that was there, it talked about a sense of smell, but also a sense of discernment. You know, when you smell, you can discern, right? And... No one lacking discernment can be used mildly by God. You must be called by God, have vision, be walking with the Lord, and be able to discern between truth and a lie. To discern between what's from God and what is not from God. The next one here is is another interesting word. It says, are any limb too long? Anybody else have something different? Superfluous, And that's a better translation. If you look in the Hebrew, the word means deformed by having excess members, like extra toes or extra fingers. And all I could think of was too much flesh. Anybody with too much flesh disqualified, right? Anybody who's walking in the flesh and striving in the flesh and hanging on to their fleshly abilities instead of dying to the flesh and trusting in God cannot be serving in ministry in an effective way. Verse 19, A man who has a broken foot or a broken hand. Broken-footed, I thought, of someone who was unable to stand in the midst of adversity. When difficulty comes in ministry, and I promise you it will, when the attacks come, can you stand? The priests were to stand. You know what I I thought about? Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, when everybody said, crucify him, he kept saying, but he hasn't done anything wrong. But what did Pilate do? Caved in. Why? Because he couldn't stand. In the midst of adversity, because he was not filled with the spirit of the living God. A broken hand, I wrote, unable to reach out and touch others. How effective are we in ministry if we're not able to reach out and willing to reach out? And I want to I tell you something. One of the things I hear in churches a lot is, it's hard to get to know people. And people, now, I don't hear it as much at this church, because you guys are awful friendly. Right? That's one of the main things I hear is, man, everybody here is so friendly. And I, they're not going to get out of the, of the building without me, at least me saying hi to them anyway, right? Someone said to me the other day, "If you met Pastor Dave? Yeah, he chased me out in the parking lot the first time I came here. I said, well, that's good. But the reality is that we should be reaching out and touching people and loving people, amen? And having a burden for them. And if we're not reaching out, we're not going to be effective in ministry, verse 20. Or a hunchback. I already must have backbone, Right? Again, like Pilate, someone who can make a stand for the truth in the midst of adversity, unlike these Episcopal bishops I wrote down on here, who caved in and went with the, went with the crowd instead of being obedient to the Word of God. It says, or a, nor a dwarf, I put one who is walking with God, must be growing. Amen? As Christians, we should never stop growing in our faith. My heart is that I, will be cl- I, I can tell you that I'm closer to the Lord today than I was a year ago. And my prayer is that I'll be closer to Him a year from now than I am today. Christianity's like a grease pole. You're either climbing up or sliding down. There's no such thing as a static walk with God. Amen? You're either drawing closer to Him or you're falling away from Him. And you know the difference. You know if you're pursuing and hungering after God and you're getting closer to Him every day. And you also know when your walk's kind of going sideways and you're just not really having time for Him and your relationship with Him is not as close, to, close as it used to be. Just remember, if you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Right? You did. Almost done here. Look at the next verse. Or continue on. Nor may have a defect in the eye, may he not be able to see clearly, or eczema or a scab. And when I wrote here, because I looked it up again is thin-skinned. Someone who's thin-skinned, easily offended. Somebody who's easily, you know, you know, wounded. You ever met somebody like that? If you're spiritually mature, you're not easily wounded. Amen? He, you know, and as a, I'm very sensitive to this as a pastor. And if I, please, if I ever offend you, please tell me, because that's the last thing I want to do. But I also know this. I know that there's people that have been mad at me at Calvary San Jose. Now imagine this. You're speaking in front of 2,000 people on a Sunday morning. I had a lady that told me recently she was mad at me for six months because I walked by her in the foyer and didn't give her a hug. Now, I didn't do that on purpose. I mean, there was a f- 2,000 people there. I'm, you know, I'm talking to people. People are, you know, coming up after the message. I'm praying with people, and somehow I walked by her. That's thin-skinned, right? Easily offended. Someone who's mature in their faith is not easily offended. They're not easily wounded. Oh, you didn't talk. To, you looked at someone else. Oh, you spent more time with them? You went to their... Stop it. That's not the sign of a spiritually <laughs> mature believer. Amen? If we're walking with the Lord, we should be looking to minister to others, not making sure that, well, they didn't talk to me as long as they talked to them, and I didn't get to sit next to them. And you see who they sat next to at church? I had an open seat, and they walked right by me. <laughs> this is not junior high. Amen? Let's not be thin-skinned. Let's not be easily offended. Look what they did to our Savior. May we be... Willing to die to self and to our will that Christ might be glorified. And then lastly, it says there, or is a eunuch. And I wrote that someone who's called by God must be able to reproduce. Amen? They must be able to reproduce. Someone who's called by God is making disciples, is sharing his faith, is giving ministry away. The society, Pastor Don told me once, I'll never forget it, he said, Dave, the sign of a successful ministry is not how it functions when you're there, but how does it function when you're not? If you're raising up disciples and people in your place, literally you could disappear and it will just keep going. If it's built so much on you and it falls apart because you've left, you're not discipling people. And that goes from the children's ministry to to the bookstore, to the worship ministry, to the... The guy doing the drinks, whatever. You should be raising up others and giving ministry away. And, you know, if you're teaching a Bible study at work and you leave, there should be someone else there to teach the Bible study. If you're the witness in your neighborhood and you've been sharing your faith with everybody and you move, there should be someone else to take your place. We should be raising people up and giving ministry away and reproducing ourselves. Right? The sad part is that over 90% of all Christians will go their entire lifetime without leading one person to Christ. That's not reproducing yourself. Amen? It's not all up to Billy Graham. How many of you got saved at a crusade? Raise your hand. Aren't you glad it's not all up to Billy Graham? We'd all be going to hell. Isn't that true? How many of you got saved because somebody, a parent, a friend, somebody loved you enough to share with you the love of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Look around. Praise God for people being obedient to that call in their lives, being willing to reproduce and step out and minister truth to the people around them. You want to be effective in ministry? You want to have a a priestly ministry that has an impact on the world? We need to be reproducing. Verse 21. No man of the descendants of Aaron is a priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy. Now I love this, that God is a loving and a gracious God. So even those who are disqualified from serving in priestly ministry... God didn't kick him out of the family. He still provided for him. And I like that. But my prayer is that, Lord, I wouldn't be saved as by fire and I wouldn't just be on the cruise ship to heaven and hanging on barely. Lord, I want to be used mightily for you. I want to have an impact that's going to last for an eternity. Not kicked out of the family. I like that. Still provided for. Last two verses. Only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect lest he profane my sanctuary, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. You know what? I cannot imagine being a priest in those days and never being able to go near the veil. Never being able to go near the Holy of Holies. Sitting outside and looking at it and knowing that everybody else can go in and draw near to God and be in His presence, but they couldn't go because of a defect. You know what? The good news for us today is if we have any of these defects spiritually, we can ask God and He can take care of it right now. Amen? Even as Christians, if, you know what, I lack vision, Lord, give me vision for what you want me to do. If I lack passion, Lord, show me what it is. If my walk's not straight like it should be, Lord, show me. If I'm not reproducing and I'm not sharing my faith and I'm not discipling others, give me an opportunity, Lord, and help me to be faithful to it. And last verse, and Moses told it to Aaron and his sons and all the children of Israel. So... In conclusion, God has called us all into a priestly ministry, a royal priesthood. He saved you that you might serve and have intimate fellowship with Him. Those serving had the tents closest to Him. People say, you know what, the reason you're a pastor is because you know the Bible so well and you're so in love with the Lord. Do you know that I think it was almost the other way around? That as I became a pastor, I spent more time in the Word and I fell more in love with the Lord. You know, the more that you step into ministry, the more that you allow God to use you, do you know that you'll be pressed deeper and, and into His kingdom? You'll spend more time in the Word, and you can't help but grow. Called to stand before God representing people, and to stand before people representing God. Looking for inward holiness and brokenness, not physical per- perfection. So how do we do that? Again, real quickly, we're called not to hang out with dead people. We're not to be, we're to have fellow, we're to minister to the world, but not have fellowship with it. We're not to mourn as those without hope. The world's watching when you go through difficulty. We're to be, not to be conformed to this world. We're called to have a marriage and a family that is set apart to God. We're called, as we're empowered by the Spirit, to have vision, to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to be able to discern the truth from a lie, to be able to die to our flesh, to be able to stand in the midst of adversity, to reach out to others. To remain steadfast under peer pressure. To continue growing in our faith every single day until he comes back. Not to be easily offended. To reproduce, to make disciples, to give ministry away. We're all called to a royal priesthood. And the only way that we can do the things I just told you is not by trying harder. It's by dying to self, being desperate for him, and crying out and saying, Lord, help me, because without you I can't do it. But know that, that God will give us the strength. if We will just trust Him. For without Him we can do nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. and, Father God, I thank You that we are all called into a royal priesthood. That we are Your sons and daughters. Lord, that we've been adopted into Your family. That we're going to heaven. And that, Father, before we get there, You desire to use us for Your glory. And, Father, I know it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. So, Father, I pray that You would just pour out Your Spirit upon us. That we might be, according to these examples you just read, Lord, may we walk straight before you in the power of your spirit. May we be so in love with you that we are witnesses to a lost and dying world. Father God, may we stand in times of adversity and difficulty. And Father, we just pray for Santa Cruz County. We pray, Lord, that you would give us vision for this city. Give us a burden that you want us to have. Help us to see the world with your eyes, Father God, to love what you love, to hate what you hate. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close on worship song.